0: She's the legendary casting director behind movies like Goodfellas and Forrest Gump. Ellen Lewis talks to us about the unique process that went into casting Steven Spielberg's acclaimed new movie, The Post. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hello everyone, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. So happy to have you with us here again at the show. So way back in the early beginnings of Pop Culture Confidential, show 10 to be exact, I was honored to be able to talk to a real legend of Hollywood filmmaking, casting director Ellen Lewis. We talked about her incredible career, like casting for Scorsese, Woody Allen, Mike Nichols and Jim Jarmusch. How she spots and works with talent, like finding Margot Robbie for The Wolf of Wall Street, for example. A real portrait into an amazing career. Now we've included this original interview as a postscript to this new one, because it's really worth revisiting. Or if you didn't hear it, well then stick around. Now Ellen Lewis is involved in another major awards contender, so we thought it'd be great to speak with her again. When we last spoke, she was working on her first collaboration with Steven Spielberg, namely The Bridge of Spies. This year, The Post will be her second outing with the director, and how this film was put together is pretty amazing. The whole production team went to incredible lengths at breakneck speeds to get this movie out. Mr. Spielberg was working on several huge projects due for release soon, like Ready Player One, for example. That's when producer Amy Pascal handed him the script for The Post. Now, The Post is a story based on the true events of the Pentagon Papers drama, Catherine Graham, played by Meryl Streep, was the Washington Post's first female publisher, and she had to make the final decision on whether to publish the Pentagon Papers. Those were the internal communications about the Vietnam War that were leaked by military analyst Daniel Ellsberg. Ben Bradley is played by Tom Hanks, and Ellsberg by Matthew Rhys.
1: Do you have the papers?
0: Not yet. The New York Times was barred from publishing any more classified documents dealing with the Vietnam War. If you publish, we'll be at the Supreme Court next week.
1: Meaning? Well, we could all go to prison. If the government wins, the Washington Post will cease to exist. If we don't hold them accountable, who will? We can't hold them accountable if we don't have a newspaper. Nixon will muster the full power of the presidency, and if there's a way to destroy you, by God, he'll find it. What are you going to do, Mrs. Graham?
0: Steven Spielberg decided that this script, with its incredibly timely story of the freedom of press and journalists going up against government corruption, had to be made. And considering our political climate today, he wanted it out now. So he put his other projects on hold and got to work. Ellen Lewis, who was casting for another Spielberg movie, got a call from the producers in February of 2017. Principal photography for The Post started already in May 2017, and it is already one of the big contenders for Oscar season. Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks were already on board when Ellen Lewis started the casting process of assembling a huge cast of great actors to play the real journalists and political figures of the story. And she did it. Bob Odenkirk, Bradley Whitford, Tracy Letts, Matthew Rhys, Alison Brie, Carrie Coon, David Cross are just some of the names that make up The Post. Ellen Lewis, thank you so much for talking to me again.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: So last time we spoke, you were right in the middle of working on Bridge of Spies, which was your first collaboration with Mr.
1: Spielberg, right? That's correct.
0: Now that turned out incredible. Were you happy with it?
1: I was really pleased with it. It was a good experience. It was a good first experience with Steven, And um, yes, I was very, very pleased with the film. The next movie that Stephen did, he worked with Nina Gold in London, mm-hmm. the BFG, And But then I started working on a movie called Ready Player One right. that Stephen directed that's going to be coming out in March based on a book that's very popular.
0: Now, I understand that you were working. Was it this one you were working on when you got the call about the post?
1: No, we were working on a movie called... Uh, The Kidnapping of Edgar Mortero, which was going to be Stephen's next film. Uh, A very interesting story where the lead is a young child, a six-year-old child. And we were searching and searching, and I was actually doing that in conjunction with Nina Gold in London, and we were having a hard time finding a child that Stephen responded to. And very quickly, this movie came up. His agent, uh, I believe, presented him with this project. And Amy Pascal, the producer, I think they presented it to Stephen as well as Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that basically everybody was free. And so we went from on a Monday to doing Edgardo Mortero to a Friday at 10.30 at night when I got the call about the post. And all of a sudden we, we did a U-turn and started working on this movie that felt very timely and important to everybody.
0: And it's a huge, incredibly good supporting cast that you've put together. Um, and, and you must have seen when you read it that, that first time that these are a lot of people I have to look into in this short amount of time. How did you begin the process?
1: You know, I begin the process the same way every time. One, I had photos. We put up photos just next to my desk and next to Kate, my associate's desk, of every, you know, all of those main characters. And so that as I start making lists and calling agents, my mind is very open because I am not looking for a lookalike.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm
1: but I am looking for an essence that someone might have that will suggest who the person is, as well as, you know, fitting into the energy of the picture and such. And so, you know, I think I probably said this last time. I mean, every time I start a project, I act as if I've never done this before. My mind is open. My mind is a blank so that, you know, I will be open to different ideas.
0: And this is a very specific era with a very specific sort of the newspaper, ma'am, the newspaper woman. We've seen this. We're we're sort of in a, pop culturally. We've we've seen a lot of movies with this type of of character. Where th- what were the actors you were looking? Do, do they do you want them? I know you don't want them to be lookalikes, but do they have a specific characteristic that you're looking for?
1: You know, I think that there's obviously an intelligence that journalists have and an energy. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I think that, that those, I, you know, I wasn't even consciously thinking about that, but I think that that is, you know, certainly an intelligence. So I think that that's probably in the back of my mind. And again, it's not, I wasn't thinking of other films that had been made. I didn't think about all the president's men. I didn't watch all the president's men. And as I say, it's just, you know, starting fresh and keeping a very open mind. So, um, you know, a, a, an interesting person who came up, um, you know, that people are responding to is Bob Odenkirk. Now, mm-hmm. I had never watched uh, Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. I certainly knew who he was in a broader way. Mm -hmm. But it was the kind of situation, again, where an agent brings him up to me and I am looking at the real photo. And I'm thinking, oh, I can see this. And then I look at tape on him and the guy is a fantastic actor. Right, right. So, you know, I immediately show that to Stephen. But, you know, you always start with a broader list. I don't give directors an overwhelming list.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. You you to take them out there before
1: I take people out, but, um, you know, I, na- I totally narrow it down. I mean, I always say that's what I'm paid to do. <laughs> I paid to open my mind, and then edit and narrow down who do I think are the very best choices.
0: It's interesting with Odenkirk because I was thinking when when I saw that you had cast him, he has bought the rights, I'm not sure where that project is now, but to the David Carr book, the, really? Yeah. And to to play him and I was like of course she took it. There's something about him and that type of journalist that that I felt like yeah, he's into that <laughs> at the
1: moment. Right. So again, that's just like, you know, that's uh, an intuition. You know, I did not know that. That's very interesting to hear that. Yes.
0: Were you looking to, because you also cast David Cross and for us, I know. So, uh, was that um, something you wanted no. to
1: do? No, really? Not in any way. Um,
0: so if people, if the listeners don't know, that's a Mr. Show with Bob and, and David, of course, a huge <laughs> cult
1: following. Right. Which I didn't know either. So I would say that Howard Simons was a part, that David Cross part was a part that was a little bit challenging for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was showing Stephen different people. Now, I saw David Cross in, in a film called Kill Your Darlings, mm-hmm. uh, where he actually played Daniel Radcliffe's father, and I thought he was excellent in it. And that's what I had in mind. Um, I had also gotten to know his work a bit when I was casting vinyl for Martin Scorsese. So he's on my list. So it wasn't, I, I I really think it was like somehow a half an hour after we had cast David Cross, where somebody either said to me or someone like said to Steven and I almost simultaneously, You know that the two of them were on the show, Mr. (laughs) Show, and it was like, no, but right, okay, but we weren't thinking about it, so let's do it. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, and how is, how does Mr. Spielberg um, work with you? Does he take a lot of time looking at your suggestions or what does he ask for? Sort of how is that process?
1: You know, his process is the process that I have with every director that I work with, which is that, Um, as I say, for certain kinds of roles, I'll start, I'll have a list. I like to sit with the director. I don't send that list (laughs) online, which is the easy thing to do now is just to, to post everything. I like to sit with him and then I'll have tape on people, you know, that I particularly feel strongly about. I call it my presentation. So it's my work that I do with the director, you know, from the work that I've done in my office. And then I sit with the director and I sit with Stephen and and we go through it. And, you know, you see where you still need to do work. You see where maybe he'll want to meet an actor or you want to read someone for something or, you know, but. I want to have as much direct contact with the director as possible because it is their vision that I'm trying to be in sync with, as is the production designer and the costume designer. And, you know, we all go off and do our our job, but then we come to the director and say, okay. right, right.
0: Uh, one of the things I understand uh, must have been incredibly difficult was that you got the call about this movie in February, and you were filming in May. Um, how look, someone like Sarah Paulson or Matthew Reese, their schedules—that must have been. I know. What, how did you do that?
1: <laughs> Everybody's schedules were tricky, so I would really, you know, like to credit our producer Christy mccasco Krieger, who's been working with Steven over. Uh, many years, and is now, this is, I think, her fourth film that she's, you know, been the producer for, but it has a very close relationship with him, as well as our production team in terms of figuring schedule out, because absolutely, it was very, very tricky. Matthew Reese was on a hiatus, Mm -hmm. so he was fine. Sarah Paulson's schedule was very difficult to work out, but We were kind of fitting in, fortunately, I mean, I think in some ways, what can work out with going so quickly is that you know right away what people's availabilities are. It's not that far in the future, but everything is so difficult today with the amount of content there is.
0: Right. They're always working.
1: (laughs) You have to figure this out, and studios, you know, more and more need to figure out how to work with everybody and know that first assistant directors and line producers are gonna be talking to each other to figure it out. I mean, it is a tricky situation.
0: Matthew Reese, by the way, I thought he was amazing as Ellsberg. He has something, I don't know, a little bit sad about him, but very smart. I I just thought, I think he was incredible in that role.
1: Yes, no, and you know, the um, Amblin produces The Americans, So they're big fans of his. So that was kind of great because Stephen knew him right away. So he was somebody It's just like, great, he'll be perfect for this part. So I also work closely with Leslie Feldman, who's been head of casting at Amblin, I think for 20 or 25 years. And she is such a help with so many things. So that worked out well. Yeah.
0: One of the things that I've heard about this movie, I mean, besides the fact that it's such an incredible story about the first female publisher and Meryl Streep, that that Stephen really has an incredible, you are so many powerful women around him that made this movie work in this short amount of time. Is that true?
1: I think, you know, I think, um, as I say, Amy Pascal is the person who this material was brought to and she moved, you know, and Liz Hannah wrote this script. I think it was a first time script, um, spec script. And Amy moved on it very quickly from the time she read it. Christy McCasco Krieger, you know, obviously has such a long relationship with Steven. She's an amazing woman. And, um, who else? And Meryl, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, and you, <laughs> and that was great. And Ann Roth, who the fantastic costume designer who I've worked with many times over the years because she was uh, very close to Mike Nichols, who I was lucky enough to get to work with through my mentor Julia Taylor. So, and this was the first time you know, it was also interesting, it was the first time that Meryl had ever worked with Steven Spielberg, right?
0: Right, and how did that uh, work? I mean, how? Was I think
1: it-, it was amazing. I think Stephen. And Tom were in awe. I mean, you know, she is fantastic. I think this is one of her greatest performances.
0: What's that like when you're when you when you're casting someone? I mean, I know that the people you cast are incredible uh, working actors, but when you say, yeah, and you're going to be playing against Meryl Streep, is that do they get nervous? Is there any sort of issue there?
1: <laughs> you know, I think that there are some actors who might be nervous, but I certainly try to make people feel as calm and comfortable when they're in my office and I think that both Merrill and Tom and Stephen we got calls from so many actors agents after their clients worked even if they had one word to say that they just had the greatest experience of their careers or of their young acting life. You know, we have like those young fellows who played those messengers, one for the Times and one for the Post. And, you know, he, Stephen is personable with every single person, with every actor. And 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 Tom are as well. So I think, you know, they want everybody to not be nervous.
0: How much do you immerse yourself in the research on the people, on the characters that you're casting?
1: You know, I read a script and I just try to get a feeling for the world and I just dive in. And I also had great support from a casting director named Rory Bergman, uh, who came in mid to end of May. And she kind of did a lot of those smaller um roles because Mm -hmm. i had to go on to the irishman the scorsese film right right so that's why i was able to do this because that movie was supposed to shoot sooner and then it pushed so that's why in a way the fact that this was going so quickly worked out very well
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what was the most challenging finally about this particular
1: you know every project is challenging And as I say, I almost think the fact that this was going so quickly helped the process. Oh, really? Because decisions had to get made. I mean, I feel very good about it. And I think Stephen feels so good about the cast. You know, there are a lot of wonderful New York actors in this and New York theater actors and
0: the wonderful Tracy Letts.
1: Right. I know. I love Tracy, you know, and that's another people a question that people ask about, about Tracy and Carrie Coon. So did you get do that on purpose? It's like, no, um, you know, I'm from Chicago and when Tracy wrote August Osage County, his agent, who I've known for a million years, said to me, he wants to act. He's an actor, not just a writer. But he wrote like one of the greatest plays I've ever seen in my entire life. And so do you want to meet him? It's like, yes, he wrote August Osage County. <laughs> yes. So I met Tracy very early and then I went to see uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf that obviously Carrie and Tracy were both in. And um, from seeing Carrie in that, when I was casting The Leftovers, um, that's how, that's what I really got to know Carrie's work and was able to cast her in The Leftovers. So again, I know them separately. And now, of course, I know them together, but those were two completely, casting them had nothing to do with each other.
0: (laughs) But their work this I mean between the leftovers and, and Tracy and both Ladybird and in this one I mean they're just like I don't even fantastic. know what to say
1: <laughs> they're... and Carrie and Fargo oh. they, I mean she's a fantastic right. fantastic no, no, it's just, I mean director.
0: the level of it well I'm going to I just have one last because last time we talked um, we talked a lot about sort of that it really was you really found at least in the US you found Margot Robbie and put her in Wolf of Wall Street um, I mean
1: I what, want to say something about that because i read something else where you know i didn't find Margot. Margot had been acting in australia she had done a television show here called pan am but what does happen is that you can be so lucky as to cast someone in a role where a light gets shown on them where it hadn't yet.
0: But I wouldn't call that luck, Miss Lou. I mean, you are such a pro at this. This is some sort of magic and, and career that no. you have. So you never know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you hope for the best.
0: But I mean, this year is is her year as well. Really, you can see where that took that role took her to. I
1: mean, I think I Tanya is brilliant. I think she is a force. I just. Was so blown away, not surprised in any way. You know, I, I she is a real force. I think I, Tanya is her she is brilliant
0: yeah yeah she is and i thought of you in that and then i want to congratulate you because you're already nominated for the artios awards now for the post um and it feels like uh, all of you there kate as well your whole team um that i hope that's on the 18th so i'll be keeping my fingers crossed thursday thank
1: you that's so nice and that the
0: movie goes on to the award season of course I know. Yeah. Fingers
1: crossed for that. Thank you so much for Thank you. having me on again. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Ellen Lewis. The post is out in the U.S. and in Sweden on January 26. Now, please stay right where you are because here comes our 2015 interview with Miss Lewis that will take you through her incredible career and casting process. My guest this week has consistently and artistically been a major part of making cinematic history again and again and again. Legendary casting director Ellen Lewis doesn't own an iPhone. She wants her focus up on the people she passes and the faces around her. Maybe this is part of the reason she is one of the most accomplished and renowned casting directors in the industry. She's had long collaborations with directors such as Mike Nichols, Woody Allen, Martin Scorsese, and Jim Jarmusch. And her casting choices have turned out amazing performances in movies such as Goodfellas, Scent of a Woman, Cape Fear, Forrest Gump, The Devil Wears Prada, The Wolf of Wall Street. And that's just scratching the surface of her long career. Ellen Lewis follows in the footsteps and credits other casting greats with her success such as Juliet Taylor, who cast Annie Hall in Schindler's List, and who hired Ellen Lewis for her first job as casting associate, as well as a real casting pioneer, Marion Doherty, who gave James Dean, Dustin Hoffman, and Robert Redford their first shots, and who is the primary subject of the 2012 documentary Casting By. A film I highly recommend that shines a light on the casting profession, that despite being a hugely integral part of the movie-making process is so often overlooked. There's still not even an Oscar category for casting to this day. I'm very pleased to talk to Ellen Lewis, who lately has been very busy casting some huge upcoming film and television projects. Steven Spielberg's new feature, Bridge of Spies, Martin Scorsese's new film, Silence, as well as his HBO series produced with Mick Jagger, Vinyl. Miss Ellen Luce, I'm so honored to speak to you. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks so much for asking me. I'm very excited. We are many times as casting directors not recognized for our work, so I very much appreciate speaking with you today.
0: I start off with a question, we sort of throw around the term a lot as journalists about star quality. As a casting director, is there such a thing and and who would have it?
1: You know, when I'm casting, I don't really think about star quality. I think about the world that the director is looking to create, what their vision is, what their taste is, and that's what I gear towards rather than thinking in terms of star power.
0: But is it something they have, a charisma? I mean, power. I'm not talking money or power or, or box office, but like a, a personal a glow.
1: I think a good example of this is Margot Robbie, who stars in The Wolf of Wall Street. And, you know, this door was open. I mean, we read a lot of actresses from everywhere. And... I wouldn't say, though, that in my mind, what I had was star power. What I was thinking about was who her character is in the movie. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I wanted a beautiful girl for the role of Naomi, you know, a sexuality, a strong sexuality and somebody who would play well with Leo. And obviously, Margot is a star. Hmm. But that was not what was foremost in my mind. But she had all the qualities that you're describing. The charisma and the glow, all of that. Stop flexing your muscles, Jordan. You look like a fucking imbecile.
0: Babe, come on. You should feel feel happy you got a husband who's in such great shape like this, huh? Come here. Come on, give me a kiss. You look so beautiful right now. Come on. Kiss you? You look so beautiful. Kiss anyway. One of your first jobs when you were in a casting associate for another legendary casting director, Juliet Taylor, you, you, one of your jobs, I understand, was to find a young actor to play Woody Allen in radio days. How did you go about this?
1: I credit every part of my career to Juliet. Mm. She's uh, everything a casting director is, and is brilliant in every way. And everything that I learned, I learned from her. I worked for her for eight and a half years. Um, So at that point, I was trained to do what I call street casting, you know, finding real people, looking for faces. The first movie that I worked for her on Broadway, Danny Rose, I looked for all of the acts, all of those funny acts um, and it, you know, it was a great deal of fun to look into this weird world uh, of people who blow balloons in interesting ways or people who had birds or met magicians and all sorts of crazy things that they did. And then the other task that you were given was to look for kids so whether that you know was a young Woody Allen or a group of kind of funny kids and at that point you know which was quite a while ago you were allowed to go into schools and look for people Um, you know another task was maybe looking for old people or an ethnic group like Italians and so you would go walking in Little Italy and see if you saw good faces.
0: Do you walk around in the street and look and look at faces?
1: In my life? Yes,
0: just in general when you when you're on the street. Are you always are you always working? I
1: look at people. I definitely am observant. That doesn't mean I'm approaching people, but you know, I actually don't have an iPhone. I like my head up. I don't like my head down. Um, I think that I am observant. And one of the reasons I, I like living in New York rather than Los Angeles is because you see people here all the time. You're looking at faces. You're not in a car. You're on the subway. You're walking. And you see human beings. And that's what we do. We look at human beings in our work.
0: And the the move from assistant to casting director yourself, when did this happen?
1: Uh, the key moment was when Bob Greenhut, who was Woody Allen's producer for many years, called me to ask if I was available and would go meet Martin Scorsese for New York Stories, Marty segment mm-hmm. of New York Stories. And Juliet was taking the summer off and... Marty did not have a casting director at that point and so I cast his segment of New York Stories and I got a call about doing Goodfellas so I would certainly say that Goodfellas has defined my career and really you know New York Stories was the first movie that I did for Martin Scorsese but Goodfellas definitely I would say really got us going in a fantastic way.
0: I know I'd go from rags to return.
1: To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States.
0: Never write on your friends. And always keep your mouth shut. And so it meant being somebody in the neighborhood that was full of nobodies. Oh, you broke your cherry. Hey, Mom, what do you think? You look like a gangster. Let's say Goodfellas, for example. How how does your work start with Martin Scorsese? When when you have a picture that he comes with to you with?
1: It varies from project to project, but obviously I get a script, and if there's any research that's being been being done on a project because Marty really you know is very detail oriented in terms of the worlds that he's creating. So for instance gangs of new york we i had a lot of not many photographs but lithographs of that era and i got some books that had faces kind of of that era and then other films that we work on there might be films that he's giving us as for reference material, uh, Hugo, obviously the films of Georges Melies and other early films.
0: So there's a research process for you as well.
1: Yes, which is fantastic because again, what it's doing is it's getting you into the world that he is, you know, going to be creating, um, But he also, one of the greatest things about working with him is the fact that he's very open to ideas and different ways of looking at things. And so I have, you know, a lot of creative leeway in terms of ways of thinking about a role. And I feel very safe with him about bringing up actors and different ideas
0: who were the first people you brought in for marty to see do you remember
1: like debbie maser came in to read for me and i loved her and i thought she would be perfect for the role i'm not even sure how many other people i saw for it and when i brought her into marty he felt exactly the same uh Samuel Jackson had been doing theater and working in New York for a long time. He was the only person I brought in for the role that he played in the film. It's the only person of color in the movies, Stax Edwards. And I definitely did real casting for Goodfellas. I had a memorable dinner that Ray Liotta has mentioned many times.
0: Okay, what was that?
1: It was a dinner at a restaurant called Rayo's, which is a very well-known Italian restaurant in East Harlem in New York. And I was taken there with Ray and Martin and Nick Pelleggi, the writer. And there were people told that we were going to be coming that night. And basically all through dinner, people were being brought to the table, some of whom were going to be able I would be able to audition and others who seem to be a little bit higher up in uh, the organization that we were told we couldn't think about for the movie but they still of course wanted to meet Marty and wanted to pay homage to him because they loved his films and um, I cast a bunch of people from that dinner
0: that's amazing See, that's why it's real
1: <laughs> yeah definitely
0: you mentioned that someone came to to the audition with a gun.
1: Yeah, someone came to the audition and offered me $3,000 to beat Marty. You know, and I, of course, said that was ridiculous. But un- uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I actually thought he was right for one of the parts in the movie. <laughs> and I had him back. To read for Marty, but I scheduled him in such a way because I had a lot of times I'll try policemen, real cops. So I kind of told one of the people I think coming in before or after him that I was a little nervous about this guy. So I made sure, and then the guy got cast in the role. Uh, and he tried to get some publicity for it later, saying that he had come to the audition carrying a gun. Oh. <laughs> I, said to that publication, I don't think that you should write anything about this fellow at all, because what he did was not correct. You know, clearly, uh, I don't need to be frightened to cast someone or be paid money. But uh, and so I don't think he, you know, you should tell anybody about it, (laughs) even though I, of course, then tell the story.
0: (laughs) Um. Talking about Scorsese, he's, interesting. he's repeatedly, he, he works with incredibly talented women. I'm thinking about uh, Barbara Dufina, executive producer, longtime editor, Thelma Schoenmacher, yourself. Um, his, his movies are generally kind of masculine in, in, in a world of male egos and gangsters, but the women in there are still pretty powerful. Um, tell me a little bit about casting women in, in his movies.
1: You know, I, it's funny, I, you know, I never thought about that and, and you're right. He, um, you know, is, has some amazing women who surround him in his creative process. You know, I have a fantastic working relationship with Marty and um, the films are somewhat male dominated but we've always had a great time casting the women in the films as well so i can't really separate it out particularly
0: um when you audition actors for a movie how how does it work today with sort of in the sort of the digital landscape are you are you in the same room
1: generally obviously if people are being put on tape in other countries, or if I'm in New York and Los Angeles, there's a lot of self-taping going on. If I can be there, I want to be there. Um, I enjoy doing it. Uh, I enjoy meeting the actors and being encouraging to them. And I get a better sense of them, of course, if I'm in the room with them.
0: Can you see through an, uh, an actor's nerves and still say, no, that this is, I can still see that this is someone for us?
1: You know, I think I can. I mean, if somebody is too nervous with me, I can't imagine what they're going to be like on a set. And that can be a problem. Um, We have had to recast people because they have had nerves on the set. And I didn't think about that for a long time. Um, But I guess what I would say about that is that It's my office's job, my assistant, my associate, first and foremost, to make an actor feel welcome, to feel comfortable. This, what they're coming in and doing is scary, of course, and they face so much rejection. So it's our job to make the audition experience as positive as possible.
0: But, but someone who you have sort of made a star.
1: The way that I view it is that certain projects shine a light on an actor. Think about Bryan Cranston's career. I mean, I have nothing to do with that career, but he had been acting for years. And he does Breaking Bad. And so at that moment, the light shines on him.
0: Ellen Lewis comes in and shines the light. Well, the
1: director shines the light.
0: You're so humble.
1: (laughs) No, it really is. I really feel like if a director is a a good director, the actors look great. And, you know, when you see a movie, sometimes you go to see a movie and you think, oh, my God, all these actors are terrible. You know, I hate to say it, but I think it is, you know, it is the director.
0: One thing that I think you're particularly amazing at um, as a cast is putting the whole ensemble together in, in all of your movies and Goodfellas and Gump, the cohesiveness of it. Um, how, how do you work with that? Are you looking, is this something you think about through the whole process, how people are working together?
1: Yes, I'm thinking about the faces, I'm thinking about who the leads are in the movie. And I actually enjoy casting what you might call as the day players probably more than I like casting the leads of a film. I love reading people for tiny roles and seeing where they fit. Um, Because, you know, everybody down to having one word is very important to the whole piece. And if a movie is well-received an actor will actually get noticed for something small.
0: What about casting biopics or real people? How is that a different process?
1: You know, it is, but something, you know, I've obviously primarily done that with Martin Scorsese. And what we like to say is that what we look for is the essence of a person and not a lookalike. So, you know, the aviator, Cate
0: mm-hmm.
1: Blanchett clearly is a phenomenal actress and was able to embody Catherine Hepburn without being a lookalike of Katherine Hepburn. And, I mean, I worked on Hyde Park on the Hudson with Roger Michelle, who always had Bill Murray in mind to play... Franklin Roosevelt, and I think it was a brilliant idea. I think that if you give an audience enough, they're willing to go into the world of a movie and their imaginations allow them to embrace that person and not say, but they didn't look exactly like them. I don't think it matters. I am so proud of you. Now, this is going to sting a
0: little bit. Ah. Oh, this is useless. Come to the bathroom. Mm. Don't get beet juice on the carpet. I I won't, I won't. Ah, too hot. Don't be a baby. (laughs) Was the uh, press there? What the? When I listen to you, it it, it really sounds like it's almost like gut feeling. I just felt something. Those are the words. Is it that way?
1: Yes. It's intuition. There's some intuition. Um, And I think Marion talks about that in the documentary. There is an intuition about who I think about for something and feeling that they're going to be right for the project and thinking that they're going to be right working with a particular director. Because I also have a wonderful longtime collaboration with Jim Jarmish. You know, again, Jim creates a very different kind of world than any of the other directors that I work with. And I love working with him. He's a great director. And I love that I have that relationship with him.
0: And what about Spielberg? What's he like for, for you in the casting
1: He's really great. You know, it's a newer relationship. He's worked with other phenomenal casting directors over his amazing career, Juliet being one of them, my friend Denise Chamion, my friend Deborah Zane. He's worked with all those casting directors. They've done a great job for him, and I'm enjoying my time with him very much.
0: Does he have another process, another way of working than, say, Scorsese?
1: Every director is different. Every director is different and their responses are different. And the people that I'm, you know, again, thinking about, uh, you know, might be similar, but a tiny bit different and thinking about what their sensibility is.
0: How how would he be different?
1: You know, it's hard to say. I think, you know, I always say Marty responds to dangerous, funny people. And, you know, that's, just a specific kind of person that I know he might respond to. I think that Steven really, you know, responds to great actors. Uh, it's just a little bit different. And Jim as well. It's, again, it's very hard to say. You have to look at each of their movies and try to crawl into their a little space of their brain so that hopefully you're going to see people slightly in the same way that they do.
0: And what, what does Jim respond to? you
1: know poetry a little bohemian feeling real with a left turn
0: so it's not like you're only researching the project that the directors are giving you it seems like you're actually researching the directors as well to absolutely. be able absolutely
1: to- mm absolutely
0: do you see all their lots of their stuff before you start working if it's someone new like spielberg for example do you yes
1: i definitely do and it's something that i ask everybody in the office to do you have to enter their brain you have to look at their work and think about who they are and the world that they create i mean the director is the captain of a movie they're the captain of the ship So that's what everybody, I think, on a film is trying to do. But of course, bringing your own creative sensibility to that process.
0: I was thinking about this when I was watching the incredible documentary *Casting By*. If anyone hasn't seen that, essentially about another casting legend, Marion Doherty, that I've never heard in the Hollywood community such generosity. You're all you all always using words about collaboration and community and being an apprentice, and and it's pretty amazing. I don't think in all the interviews I've done in Hollywood that I've heard. Is it really like that? It's really a community for you.
1: Yes, it is a community. And I was going to mention Marion, and I should have mentioned Marion before this, because, you know, I proudly consider her my professional grandmother. You know, obviously, Juliet worked for Marion for so many years, and definitely the way that I work was handed down from Marion to Juliet to all the other people that you see in that documentary. See, I think what we do, I think the reason we are a community is because what we do is very hard for people to understand. And I think that also it's the kind of job where a lot of people feel like, oh, I could do that. Oh, I know how to do that. But the fact is that not everybody can do this. And it is something that generally is learned by exactly what you said. It's like an old-fashioned trade where you do apprentice to somebody. And, you know, I just, I feel so proud of being a part of that lineage and being a part of the casting community in Hull, I do.
0: Because, I mean, what I think people don't understand, I mean, not only finding talent and this incredible creative collaboration you have with the directors that you were talking about, you're also... I understand scheduling, negotiating. I mean, it's a huge, you're following this actor and this movie for a very, very long time. I mean, which I don't think people understand.
1: I think you're right. People don't know. Yes, we negotiate the deal. Uh, We have to keep close track of schedule. You know, we work very closely with agents and it's, I know that Martin Scorsese has recognized this in my work, that I'm with a project, even though I might, after they start shooting, I like to have the casting done. I don't want the director to have to think about casting once they're shooting. But, you know, I am probably doing some small things throughout a shoot. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot that goes into this. But I think the other reason that what we do is somewhat mysterious, and 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 the reason that it goes unrecognized in some ways is because what we do is very private. And the reason it's private is because actors are human beings. They are not inanimate objects. They are not a piece of film that's being edited. They're not a piece of clothing. They're not a location. They're people. And so when you say no to an actor, that's very delicate. It's all very delicate because they're a person and they're putting themselves on the line. So you're not talking that much about the process because you don't want to broadcast who didn't get the role.
0: Why, why, why is there still no Oscar for casting?
1: You watched the documentary. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know if, you know, as the documentary says, because casting used to be done through the studio with people who worked for the studio or because, I, you know, I just don't know. Because as you say, like, also, it's like there's no movie without someone to do our job. There is no movie. There's, you know, nothing for the costume designer to do and nothing for the production designers <laughs> to do or all of these other jobs if it weren't for what we do.
0: They have made a branch, though, right?
1: We are, we are cast, and we are a branch in the academy, which is fantastic that that happened. You know, I think we are more seen than we, than we used to be, but we need to be even more seen.
0: You have finished, or you are casting vinyl, um, Scorsese's new HBO series.
1: I cast uh, the pilot,
0: and that's set in the 1970s, sort of drug fueled New York um, rock and roll scene. W- what were you looking for there? How did that process go?
1: Just what you just described. <laughs> yeah, no, it was fantastic. We where did you look? You know, we I was looking at actors who would embody that time period, and it was. A lot of fun. We had worked on this project a couple of years back, and it didn't end up happening. And then when we got back to it, everybody knew Bobby Cannavale a little better at that point. He is someone we had discussed previously in the initial phases of the project. So it was fantastic, you know, that Bobby got the lead in the show. So this is my story, clouded by lost
0: brain cells, And then maybe a little bullshit. You know what? How about I shut up, put the record on, drop the needle, and crank up the volume?
1: I think it's going to be an amazing and really different uh, role for people to see him in. There's a fantastic actor named Otto Asando, who's playing a very important role of Lester Grimes. And... That This is a great example of what I do. Otto's an actor I've known for years and cast in many small roles. And there was nothing more thrilling than making the call to tell him that he was going to be a series regular on this television show. And, you know, it's really exciting. Juno Temple is an actress that I immediately thought of when we started the process, why she really embodies that era for me. Exactly. And I called her agent and said, do you think Juno would think about doing a television series? And he said, what's the material? And I told him and he got it to her. And he said, when can we set her up to come read for you? Ray Romano is playing a very different role in this show than anybody has ever seen him play. And that's the exciting thing that happens in my role. An agent calls and says, how can I get Ray Romano considered for this? I don't know, I'm not that, you know, I hadn't watched Everybody Loves Raymond that much. And he went in, put himself on tape. I got it the next day, said he looks really interesting. Let me show it to Marty. In our next casting session and Marty loved him so you know there's a there's a story behind every person who you cast in something there really is
0: and and your next project can you tell
1: yeah, I'm working on a film called Ready Player One for Steven Spielberg. That's I do one movie at a time, so that's what I'm currently working on.
0: So you have two Spielberg movies coming
1: out. Well, this one won't shoot till 2016. And also, I'm co-casting uh, with my friend Megan Rafferty, because I was doing Steven's movie, a new movie for Jim Jarmusch.
0: Thank you so much for taking your time. This was incredibly interesting.
1: Thanks, Christina. Thank you so much
0: thanks again to ellen lewis and thank you for listening to pop culture confidential follow us on twitter at pod pop culture or on instagram pop culture confidential and please take a moment to rate us on itunes or soundcloud that really helps others who are looking for this kind of content to find us the 2017 interview was edited by Tom Hansen, 2015 interview by Mua Larsson. Our theme music is by Carl Boy, and the show was produced by Rene Vikander and myself. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Thank you so much for listening.